Welcome, it's Season 1, Episode 6 of The Indirectors, a podcast for film nerds by film nerds. Every season on The Indirectors, we'll choose a director, watch all of their feature-length films, and report back to you, the listeners of this very podcast. For our inaugural season, we've chosen South Korean filmmaker Bong Joon-ho. I am Ryan W. Bradley with Benjamin Alaco, and we are the Indirectors. How's it going, Ben? Very good, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Life has been hectic lately, but it's it's movie time. Yes. And, and as always, I'm excited to hear what you think about this film. We are talking about Super Pigs, and I can't wait. Super Pigs. <laughs> of course, that means in this episode we're talking about Bong Joon-ho's sixth film, the theatrical distribution complex's nemesis, Okja, a Netflix original which was released on the streaming platform in 2017 after competing for the Palme d'Or at Cannes, where the company's logo was booed for five minutes. Because some film nerds are also film snobs. Dear listener, don't be one of those. Ben, how about that synopsis? <laughs> Um, well, I just wanted to say I booed the shit out of every time I load up Netflix, you know, I just, I just boo, you know, I can't help it. That's from the comfort of your own home. <laughs> That's what right, happens yeah. in the bedroom stays in the bedroom. <laughs> I'm like, why am I paying for this shit? Boo. <laughs> I didn't get the chill with my Netflix. <laughs> rip off oh man yeah so i decided that i was gonna try a little bit with the synopsis this time instead of just fumbling my way through it but i'm not <laughs> confident in this one either so but i was like you know what i'm a writer i've written query letters before trying to sum up my own stuff this is good practice so bear with me because this is this is one that it's been a while since i looked at the actual synopsis anywhere else but i don't think it actually gets to the heart of it just like most of bong Junho stuff so so bear with me this one's kind of long because i i i struggle with these so we're, Here's we're the... giving you leeway. <laughs> All right, perfect. The best I can do is to say there's this huge GMO food corporation, and they decide that they're going to create genetically modified super pigs as a food source. They have local farmers raise a number of these pigs so that in 10 years, these pigs can be part of a best super pig competition that's all kind of this promotion event but as that competition nears a young girl who has formed a friendship with one of these super pigs tries to protect this pig okja from its fate as dinner <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my best attempt for uh, what's going on in this movie well and, and here's the thing about about the dinner part right mm -hmm. which is every bit as dark as it sounds. Yep. But there are moments in this movie on the surface that make it feel like, oh, this is a cute, fun, sweet movie. Mm-hmm. And no, it's really, really dark. Oh, yeah. I mean, my so my 12-year-old was asking about, like, when he can watch this movie. And, I like, it had been a couple years since I'd last seen it. And I was like, oh, you know... And, it's probably fine. You know, for the most part, the only thing that we really like filter out for him is like sexual stuff. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, there's none of that. And then, you know, my wife was like, it gets pretty brutal. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I mean, there's the like 
eco-terrorists, you know, the, the animal liberation front stuff. But I mean, like, that's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And when I rewatched it last night, <laughs> and you get to the slaughterhouse scene, you're like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. this is fucked up. Yes, there's there's animal rape in this movie. Yeah, it, it it's... well, you know, I mean, there is in real life, too, on, uh, you know yeah (laughs) that's how the industry works well yeah for sure i mean that's this movie uh, (laughs) it was it's a powerful movie i feel like i i felt Mm -hmm. like it it was very effective and uh i'll be honest i i teared up here and there um it's you know to me things with pets and animals just really get to me i i have two wonderful cats and i'm like i would fight people if they were i I would harm people very badly if they tried to harm either of my cats (laughs) (laughs) so and those are cats you know so i'm like (laughs) i i get it i get this movie that's what i'm saying yeah well, I mean, in, in cards on the table, you know, I've been vegan for almost mm-hmm. a decade. Um, I don't think I knew that about you, actually. Yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not preachy about it. I'm not militant about it. Right. Um, but you know, it was, it was a life decision that I made for a number of reasons. Uh, my wife and my kids went vegan before I did. Mm-hmm. You know, so when this came out, like I was already firmly in that lifestyle. Yeah. So this this hit in a different way. Yeah. And it it's very nauseating it at is. times. And I think that there are probably a lot of people who see it and think that it's like brutal, but in an extreme, like unrealistic way. And no, this is very realistic. Yeah. Right. And if you ever watch videos of those places, it is like absolutely horrifying. Yeah. And I'm not saying anyone should stop eating meat if that's what they want to do with their life. But I'm I'm big on like at least be honest about yeah. what it is. Like, if you're going to eat animals, admit that, yes, they're being murdered for you to eat them. Yeah, and it's and then, brutal, and it's and not then, nice. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's you. Like, yeah. That's your life. That's fine. Yeah. But I but I don't like it when, you know, people are like, oh, it's humane, or like, oh, animals are here for us to eat. And like, mm, mm. you know, they probably yeah. think differently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this it, it hit me in a way, too, because so... I am not vegan. Um, I was like pescatarian, I would mm-hmm. call it. Uh, f- man, it's, this was several years ago now. I I, I did it actually for these exact reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was like, I don't want to support these industries. But it got to a point for me where it's just so hard to maintain that lifestyle. And like the there, there's a lot of options right now, but I could never figure out the a better diet and and i i probably didn't put in the the work that i could or should have and i'll be honest this movie has me re-examining that but i did also watch this movie and then go make a ham sandwich and was like ah fuck (laughs) i don't feel good about this but there's a lot of cognitive (laughs) dissonance that yes and and i think that if people are like willing to admit that that that's fine like to me like that's that's the choice right it, it it's gotten a lot easier i think every year it gets a lot easier to be vegan you know and, and this podcast isn't about veganism i'm not going to go into a whole thing about it. it for me it turned out to be a much easier thing to do than i expected it to be mm-hmm. and it's gotten easier every year because of the increasing number of choices right and and they're getting better 
there, you know, there was a time where it was like, oh, you know, this, you know, vegan cheese tastes like crap. And it did. Right. But now it tastes really good because people are getting better at it. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, like, I mean, this this movie did impact a lot of people that way. When I was watching some YouTube videos of interviews with Bong Joon-ho, there were a lot of people in the in the comments of those videos saying they went vegan or vegetarian because of this movie. Bong Joon-ho and I think one of the producers of the film visited a slaughterhouse in Colorado mm-hmm. and he temporarily went vegan or, you know, for a little while went vegan yeah. afterwards. Um, I don't know. He didn't talk about like the whole um, journey of that, but you know, he talked about how they call them beef plants. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't call them slaughterhouses, obviously. Right. They're very proud of them. They have, you know, the state of the art equipment. Many of these places are even, you know, sanctioned by the humane society as doing things in a humane way. Hmm. And, and he's like, and it's horrifying. Right. Yeah. What's interesting about all that, though, because that does feel very much like the heart of this movie. But Bong Jun ho has said that that's actually like, not what he sees as the point of the movie. The point of the movie for him isn't about animal cruelty. It's about the economics of the meat industry, huh. which again feels very Bong Joon Ho, right? Yeah. Um, I've been talking for a long time now, but it's that is such a theme of his, right? This what the economic differences class wise and how those are affected in different ways. And that is really when you look at it from that lens this whole film is like corporate versus human yeah and and it starts right from the very beginning too Mm -hmm. it's it opens with tilda swinton and her big speech which feels to me very reminiscent of of uh damn it uh of snowpiercer um Mm -hmm. In in their whole propaganda thing and like the classroom and all that stuff that they, you know, they, they have this very phony person who's reciting their speech and it's all very well rehearsed. And you see, um, what's his name? The actor there, uh, Gian, Giancarlo Esposito, like up mm-hmm. in the rafters, like mouthing along with her speech. And I was like, okay, I, I, you know, I see what he's doing. And it's funny you mentioned, you know, it feels very much like that opening feels very much like a kid's movie almost until mm-hmm. Tilda Swinton drops the F-bomb. <laughs> She's like, yeah. they're going to, I can't remember exactly, but it's like, they're going to taste fucking great or whatever. Right. And yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, this is interesting tonally. And once we get to, oh, I didn't write her name down. Mija, right? Uh, yes. So yeah. yeah, I did write her name down. <laughs> Mija uh, and and Okja just kind of like frolicking around in nature and all that stuff and having a good time and they're laying on each other and she's you know on Okja's stomach and stuff I think I wrote in my notes actually I was like this movie is going to get dark like I just I was like I know yeah feel like this is going to get very dark and sad like I was like I I had no idea what this movie was about as we talked about previously yeah but but what I know about Bong Joon-ho and his filmmaking style and his storytelling, I was like, he's laying out, you know, this is like paradise. This is this is the heaven, you know, and mm-hmm. this is all going to end and it's going to get very emotional and sad and horrible. And it did exactly all those things in ways that I didn't necessarily expect. Yeah. But... 
it's I, I could see somebody watching this movie without having that context of watching a bunch of Bong Joon-ho movies, you know, week to week and being like, oh, this movie is very nice and pleasant. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it it has a, a big shift. And and those early scenes really set up the, the dichotomy that I think is more prevalent here. But Bong Joon-ho has led up to, which mm-hmm. is this divide between Americans and South Koreans. Yeah. And here it's the corporations, which is the American side and the agricultural side, which is represented by South Korea. Mm -hmm. And so this is like the most upfront. We've seen that divide in his films. Yeah. Even though it's been hinted at throughout. And I you you mentioned Snowpiercer. I think this is really like an evolution not only of Snowpiercer, but of host, you know, because there's there's a lot in common with host and uh you know, these these monster creatures, you know, Okja's not really a monster, but mm-hmm. you know, he's that kind of presence and uh, industrial evil versus environmental causes. Yeah. But this is so much more mature. Yeah. Even in the silliness, it's more mature because it's silliness with something behind the veil. Right. We, we've we seen that silliness throughout his films as well. And I think it hits a peak here, but I think it works because those characters are needed. They're stooges to front this thing. Jake Gyllenhaal's character. Oh, man. Is the, the front of of this corporation this public face that's kind of like the hype man yeah and he's so over the top and so ridiculous but that's what that character needed to be and he's brilliant i Mm -hmm. i like i firmly believe that he went into that role attempting to be tilda swinton (laughs) (laughs) right it it just felt like a very similar style of inhabiting the character yeah and which is great because you still have Tilda Swinton still being a very Tilda Swinton <laughs> character and they're just yeah. like playing off of each other. Yeah. Which is great. They went, you know, they did the press junkets together too and seeing them talk to the press together is, is pretty amusing. <laughs> they're so good in this. Oh, I mean, they are. they're, yeah, the, they're over the top, but it, like you said, they are meant to be. And, you know, it's interesting too, thinking about Jake Gyllenhaal's character, I feel like I've seen that type of character or that character in some American films or stories where they're really kind of trying to skewer the hypocrite, you know, hypocritical uh yeah like show, showman mm-hmm. right where it, it's all about they have to play this persona but in fact they're just this greedy asshole right i feel like that felt very american mm-hmm. like c- cynically <laughs> cynically american or um you know in in ways that was in ways that were more familiar to me than a lot of what bong joon ho had done to kind of skewer figures in the past you right. know what i mean so that that was one that I, I didn't think it was an issue with the movie. I think it's it's totally appropriate. But I was like, it just kind of retrospective. I'm thinking like this, you know, feels like he's definitely targeting this, as you said, I think American corporation uh, view of the world and, and economics and materialism and everything. And uh, that I think is something that American cinema has explored for a while as well. So like in, in ways that to me 
feel like this this movie feels more like it's not it's definitely not traditional hollywood but it feels closer than a lot of what bong joon ho has done in the past mm-hmm. C- compared to to his other films like there is very much this this hollywood polish to this movie that probably snowpiercer made available for him yeah and and netflix obviously made available to him but I don't think that if this film was trying to be made by an American director, I don't think it would have been made. Yeah. It's interesting. The, the The whole Netflix angle is interesting. I think that Netflix decisions are often made based on uh, analytic type information. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, so if, if like a TV show does really well on Netflix, something that was on CBS 10 years ago does really <laughs> well on Netflix, that spurs the conversation of, hey, do we go and try to buy this show and make a new season or mm-hmm. you know whatever so yeah so my my gut feeling in house and I, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i'm pretty sure i read this somewhere but even if not i think it's a pretty good educated guess that snowpiercer did really well when it hit netflix because it didn't get a great u.s release right and it it became kind of this cult hit because of netflix Mm-hmm. And and so I think that that played a big part in them throwing some money at Bong Joon Ho, and he'd had such a terrible experience trying to break into the U.S. market with Snowpiercer, right? That he saw this as an opportunity to be seen by people in the U.S. Yeah, and and so it was like this symbiosis. He's also said afterwards that he doesn't think he would do that again. Hmm. But I, you know, I think he's at the point where he has the privilege to say that because of the success that he's found since parasite so he he knows that his next movie is going to get a big release in the u.s right for sure every film of his you know we we keep saying it we keep saying oh you know this is we saw this in the previous film or you know he built on the previous film and he, he just keeps doing it right like yeah we keep seeing this evolution of his themes and that's so interesting to me because his films are very different from one another, yes. from you know one to the next. And there are certainly other directors who do that, whose every film is different. But I I don't see the obvious growth from film to film in a lot of filmmakers. Yeah. Whereas he feels like he's really refining every step of the way. Yeah, it, that's really interesting. I mean, that that's I think one of the things that he can do because his plots are so radically different from each other. And and I think this is just, I don't know. I'm, I have a half formed thought in my head right now, but I'm just thinking about ways that, you know, a, a storyteller can use plot to reach certain themes that you wouldn't really expect, you know, like there's nothing inherently I don't know, built into the, the the plots necessarily that that he's working with that speak to these themes to the extent that he's able to. So it's like, you know, he's he's taking a story about a, a young girl trying to protect her pig, and he's taking a story about a futuristic train where the last of humanity lives, and he's taking a, a story about, you know, a mutated fish that's attacking people, and he's making it all about, you know, the the people versus the machine you mm-hmm. know economics you know and and uh what is justice for the people you know and, and that kind of thing and it's like because he's able to hop from genre to genre from story to story from plot to plot it 
it's like he, he none of it feels forced mm-hmm. it all feels natural but it, it goes back to that old thing that old saying that's like a, a writer is just telling the same story over and over again in different ways and and so it's like you you really see that with his work but it's not the same story it's the, it's similar themes you know it might be the same right. theme but certainly not the same story and that's really one of the things that i admire about his work is he's done these crime movies he's done these he's done a monster movie he's done sci-fi now he's done this weird thing that it's kind of like this odd mashup of like it it feels like a mashup between a kids movie and a much darker film about everything we've already talked about the exploitation of of these animals and uh this horrible industry and everything so it's just amazing that he's he's able to just do do all of these things but fit them into that framework of his worldview you know right yeah and it makes it exciting every time he has a new movie yeah right like i mean i think that probably both of us because of of who we are and you know how how much we love films that we probably have lots of directors whose films we really look forward to yeah i think For the most part, though, a lot of film directors, we kind of know what we're going to get. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan, but I'm very aware that I'm getting a Wes Anderson movie every time. And and I I know kind of the story beats. And I know that even if it's not his best film, it's still going to be a very entertaining film. Whereas with Bong Joon-ho, you have no idea what you're getting next. Yep. And and I don't think, you know, he doesn't have the same kind of calling card that Wes Anderson has or Edgar Wright or, you know, the, mm-hmm. these filmmakers who have defined a very um, clear style. His his style is all about his themes mm-hmm. and not about what we see on the screen. The, the things that he does do are subtle technical things that people won't necessarily even think about. And I think those have honed along the way too. these techniques, um, visual references, staging, um, which really culminates in, in Parasite, you know, when we talk about that. Um, but in this one, like there are a lot of visual references in the way things are framed and staged. There's the scene with the, the boardroom. It's all the people from the from the corporation and it like now I'm forgetting the corporation's name. Um not Monsanto, Monsanto but it, it totally is Monsanto. Mar- Mar- Mirando. Mirando, the Mirando Corp. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like they're they're in like a boardroom and the scene was staged to look like the photo of the Obama administration in the war room when they captured Osama bin Laden or killed oh, Osama wow. bin Laden. And and it was very intentional. So like Tilda Swinton was in the position of Hillary Clinton. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito was in the position of Obama. They got background actors and they attempted to get background actors who looked like the people in the background of the photo. Very intentional visual <laughs> references that, you know, wow. 95% of people aren't even going to catch. Right. When I saw it, I was like, that kind of looks like that kind of picture i wasn't thinking of that exact image but i was like this has that feel right yeah and and then you know he's talked about it in interviews and how much fun they had doing it and he's like it wasn't you know hmm. 
commentary. It was just entertaining, you know, like, like, so it's for him, it never yeah. feels like this pretentious thing either. Like, it feels very much like he just has fun. Yeah. I mean, you sense that we've talked about it before, but like in this one, <laughs> this is one of the things that makes the movie feel like a mashup between a kid's movie and something much, you know, more adult. But the Oksha just like pooping everywhere <laughs> several times is just so, you know, it's scatological and it's slapstick and it's ridiculous. And, you know, there's like when, when Oksha falls from the cliff, you know, we don't know how she's doing. And then, um, when uh when Mija finds her the first thing we hear off screen is a fart like <laughs> it's just the the scatological humor it's it's that it's uh, yeah like I, I feel like there's even those moments where you just sense Bong Joon-ho just being goofy kind of having a laugh yeah and enjoying making this story you know even, even if things get very grim which they do it's like you just sense that feeling of fun and playfulness that he has in all of his films yeah he he really does and 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 it's kind of funny because like this felt like the perfect movie to to have the jump kick <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i was thinking right? about that. Like, like i, like, I just wanted it? someone <laughs> like paul dano to like jump kick someone like <laughs> Like, I kind of feel like yes. none of those uh, actors that play the characters in the Animal Liberation Front, like, I feel like none of them had seen his earlier films. Because I have to believe at least one of right. them would have given it a try if they had. <laughs> I would hope, yeah. It is, it is that kind of <laughs> level, you know, of fun. And he always pairs that with something incredibly dark and terrible that's that's why i felt like even as that goofy stuff was happening in the beginning i was like oh no i know that right, something you, horrible is coming i know how yeah, this guy works and you now. have you know you have jake <laughs> gyllenhaal who is like just this ridiculous character throughout um and i like yeah i think that i think that gyllenhaal has had probably better roles but i think that this is probably his best mm -hmm. acting because there has to be such this crazy range. Like he goes from being this manic yeah. hype man to this whiny, squeaky jerk to oh, having this yeah. huge breakdown and being just evil. And I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, I, I mean, I was so impressed. Like when I, I the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. Like the first time he starts talking, you're like, oh whoa this is not what i expected <laughs> yep i didn't recognize him when he first comes up the mountain and he's oh, drenched funny. and stuff and he's just like, <laughs> like I, I, and it was after he kind of does that initial pass or whatever when uh he then kind of starts talking more normally and i was yeah. like holy shit that's jake Gyllenhaal. yeah i love that too that that change <laughs> in in his voice but it's it's super yeah. funny too because he's not like it's never a hundred percent. So it's not like the TV audience that knows him has only ever heard like his professional deeper voice, right? Because he does break in and out of it. But when he's just talking all the time, it's always the squeaky voice. So it, it's kind of funny. Like we, we get this dichotomy there too, but it just leaks. It's always leaking out. I also like, cause we're talking about, you know, the, this, this character being skewered, 
there's a little bit of the ALF being, I think, poked at a little bit too, because AF, right. ALF is a real organization. I don't know anything about them, but I know that they're real. And I thought it was, it was really hilarious. And I kind of appreciated it where the mm -hmm. character of Silver is like, <laughs> he's basically like, I won't eat anything because all right. food is exploitation yeah. or whatever. I thought that was funny. And I appreciate it. I mean, the ALF are clearly the good guys in this, you know, they, they just are sort of They're They're trying to free Okja. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not without their, you know, the, the, the Korean guy lies and is, is really the, I mean, I have, a, I have a, you know, some thoughts on that because part of me is like, well, even if they said, let's take it, this, take Okja back to the mountains, how are they going to even do that? You know, the, it, it's not possible. So I, I think, Okja would have ended up in New York anyway, but yeah, they do they do betray her. But I I like Paul Dano kicking the shit out of that guy when he finds out that he lied and stuff. So I mean, he's as he's Paul Dano, other than Mija, is as close to you get as kind of someone who's who's a moral character. Yeah. He's got a code. He's not gonna. He's really not gonna harm anyone yeah, if he can he, help it except he for does, when he's got to beat someone up for does, breaking the code yeah, yes he does beat that person up pretty badly and he also you know he was trying to save mija at the end because he thought okja was attacking yeah. her but he was gonna hit okja with a pipe too so there's there's also that but i love the look in his eyes when she when she grabs the the thing and stops him from hitting okja even while her arm is being chomped on right because you see in his eyes, like, that's what he's striving for, like, is what she's just yeah, done. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah, he's he's not perfect. The whole ALF is not perfect. But they're at least closer to being on the right side of what's going on in this. You know, they're they're in juxtaposition to the evil corporation. So but I, I appreciated that that there's still faults in them that that also Bong Joon Ho is kind of poking fun at certain pieces of them. You know, <laughs> this guy who like won't eat a tomato because a grape yeah, tomato or I whatever mean, it is. And, and that's another very big hallmark of Bong Joon Ho's films is that no one is ever 100 percent the hero. No one gets away completely unscathed, no right. matter how heroic they are. There's always imperfections and i appreciate that because that yeah. that is life right like no one is 100 percent good no one is 100 percent bad i mean there are some people who are probably yeah. pushing 100 percent bad but i but i do believe that <laughs> yeah. no one is like you know 100 percent bad i think everyone has the capacity to to do some good so i appreciate the lack of polarity and the humor that we see in the animal liberation front is is great too because they they do very serious work the real animal animal liberation front does basically what these guys are doing in the film they attempt to free animals while also like economically harming corporations mm -hmm. so regardless of how you feel about that mission that is very serious work yeah you know right so to to inject some humor in it also makes it very human and more relatable for sure um I I wanted to switch gears for a moment and just uh, talk about the special effects as well. Because there are moments in this where I was just like, is that CGI? Is that real? I don't know. 
There and and I'm not a, a special effects. They couldn't get a real super pig to send one. <laughs> oh damn! All right, this whole time I thought, ah, no, I, I, I feel like, like I, I'm not a special effects expert or anything, but I've I watch like YouTube videos that break down special effects. I I watch the Corridor Crew channel. If anyone out there watches them, I love their stuff. I've learned so much about and, and I've come to really respect even bad CGI. I just respect the hell out of the people who are making it. And I'm like, I see what you tried to do there and I think I understand now why it's not working. And it's probably had to do with time, you know, you probably overworked like most right. people who do special effects. But Okja has some really subtle but really impressive things going on when Okja is splashing around the water in the beginning of this film. I was like, I was thinking about all the things that I've learned from like watching that show and, and little little bits of research I've done into, you know, visual effects and stuff. And I'm like, they must they, they're really using some some really awesome visual tricks, whatever they're doing there, because the water is clearly mm -hmm. interacting with something. But you can tell that Okja is not there. Obviously, Okja is CGI. So I, I feel like thinking about how, you know, Bong Joon-ho, his films always look gorgeous. You can obviously tell Okja is CGI, but there's really subtle interactions with Okja. There's when Jake Gyllenhaal is leaned up against Okja and you see the fine hairs on Okja and there's a lot of those types of shots. I was like, if this is CGI there, I don't know how they did that. Like it's insane yeah. how well it like how good it looks. So I I just have to say that that like I don't I don't know that we got one of those signature shots like you know, that we saw right. in some of his other films where it's like that moment of that slow-mo and all that stuff. I don't know that we really got that here, but the the still what's going on with Okja is really kind of astounding how good yeah. things look yeah, in this no, movie. It's, it's really impressive. It's kind of showing off. And I, and I would guess that it's a mixture of CG and Weta Workshop type model of of a creature for close-ups mm -hmm. like that that would be my guess right but even in the the further back a lot of the interactions like towards the end i was thinking about this last night as i as i rewatched it towards the end when they're back in korea and okja kind of goes in into his stall and bites the basket and has the basket in its in his teeth mm -hmm. and mija pulls the basket free and that looks very real it looks yeah. very much like it's within Okja's mouth, which it, those kind of things, those interactions is usually where you can kind of see the cracks in motion capture stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that's like super impressive. Motion capture, I think, has gotten to this amazing point. And I constantly think about how there there should be like an Oscar for uh, for mocap actors. Like, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, we know that like, I mean, it's very unlikely that a mocap actor is ever going to get like a best actor, you know, win or even nominated. Right. But like the work that goes into that and the different level of skill that that requires is, you know, that deserves yeah. that kind of recognition on the same level. And that kind of bothers me that they don't get it. Of course, it would be going to the same like two people all the time. But <laughs> That's true. Andy Serkis is just getting it every, <laughs> every single time. Andy Serkis and uh, and Doug Jones, who 
it shows up in all the yeah. Guillermo del Toro movies. <laughs> Can we just give them awards and just be like, this is the Andy Serkis Award <laughs> and the Doug Jones Award? Yeah. We should. I mean, Doug Jones is amazing. I don't know if you've ever watched the the any of the behind the scenes stuff from uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Dude, watching him on those like freaking stilt legs. <laughs> so impressive yeah. and he looks like he's like 50 pounds yeah. to fit into that costume <laughs> for sure yeah i really uh, do you do you have any insight into how they how they did any of these visual tricks for this i wasn't i didn't look very hard but i wasn't able to really find anything right off the bat i didn't find any behind the scenes stuff um yeah and one of the downsides of netflix you know that's yeah exactly and i think it's funny because like i have no problem with the like netflix release mm -hmm. or like movies coming you know directly to netflix and not getting theatrical releases like i don't give a shit yeah but that's what i miss with a netflix release is all the extra stuff yep and i i was wondering last night because now that criterion's done parasite and memories of murder i i'm waiting for them to do more bong joon ho films yeah and and i was wondering because criterion's now done two netflix movies i think so i'm like oh if they did okja are there are there things out there that netflix has never given us yeah that would be able to round that out yeah i would love to see it so i couldn't find anything that showed like what it looked like but but just based on uh, other things I've seen, my guess is that they have like a mocap person yeah. splashing around in the water and then just did an amazing yeah. job of integrating the CG. It must be because I, I know from just those those things that I mentioned doing the, that little bit of research that like particularly any CGI acting with water is so difficult to do. And I was since... Okja was in the water I was watching very closely and I was like I can't tell if all the water is CGI or if they've done a really good job with that mocap stuff and that that replacement of something else I I did do a, a quick google here and I see this really weird picture when <laughs> oh man when when Mija hugs Ocha oh, oh, oh Okja and Okja kind mm -hmm. of puts it uh, her paws around Mija. There's a guy mm -hmm. in it looks like this giant gray <laughs> suit with these big white foam arms um, <laughs> that are like hugging around her. I'm like, this is crazy. Th this is it's amazing. Yeah, I see. Yeah, it looks like they had a big like a white foam head that they're kind of using as a reference and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But it, the shadows, the light work, everything is just uh, really fantastic here. And it, it, yeah, I just don't want to overlook that, what they're doing. And no, absolutely. And I think that outside of like sci-fi movies and stuff, like we don't often spend much time talking about this. Yeah. And this film is made by those things, you yeah. know, by those intangibles that people are going to take for granted because it's not a Marvel movie. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's such a, th this is where I get into kind of the non-Western aspect of, you know, Bong Joon-ho as a filmmaker and this particular movie, because when 
we're we're I feel like we are in the West and in Western cinema are used to seeing a big CGI lovable character like this. It's because it's for a children's movie and that's the selling point, mm -hmm. right? If you're going to dump millions and millions of dollars into the creation of this creature, you're going to make sure that there's a built-in audience and it's going to be that familiar story, whatever, feel good thing and all that stuff. And what I love about this, one of the things I love about this is that it's taking that kind of trope and and setting it in that framework of this brutal world of the meat industry and just going for it. I mean, Okja is such a strange and interesting choice for an animal as a character. It's like, I was like, this is like Babe, you know, <laughs> Babe Pig in the City, but just right. brutally, realistically told um, or, or hyper real. I wouldn't even necessarily call this movie realistic. It's right. everything is bigger. Everything is larger than life, including the pigs, you know, but, but yeah, like the, it, it feels almost anime to me in the, the, the kind of over the top nature of the character of Okja. And that was like my really my limited point of reference for seeing this movie like trailers or or posters or whatever anytime i'd kind of scroll by it on netflix i'd be like oh it looks like uh, a live action anime type movie or something where this girl's gonna go on this magical adventure with this mm -hmm. <laughs> with this creature and oh it is not that at all <laughs> it's a like a studio ghibli mm -hmm. kind of real life adventure yes, yes. in a press junket interview right a, a journalist asked uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Tilda Swinton what attracted them to the film to the story and Tilda Swinton of course said Bong Joon-ho she's mm -hmm. like any story that he's interested in I'm interested in yeah. but she also said she's like you know the first image he showed me was of of Okja of this you know super pig and she's like I instantly thought of my neighbor Totoro which I'm sure was a little alarming when she read the script you know, so so I do think that that is a big point of reference for yeah for people yeah for sure for sure. So yeah, what's interesting is that you know because we're talking about just the level of skill with the the effects. Mm -hmm. So I, I went and looked real quick. It only cost ten million dollars more to make this than Snowpiercer. Wow, and and just the effects in this are a huge step oh, yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. They felt like more than a $10 million step up. For sure. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Especially considering I would guess that this film in terms of the cast was probably more expensive than Snowpiercer. Yeah. So you're you're spending more money on acting, you know, you're spending more money on locations than Snowpiercer, mm -hmm. which was basically shot in a warehouse. Yeah. So they did this and they made it this impressive on you know either comparable or less money what you know in the end that's crazy yeah hmm. yeah i was like I, I looked back and i and then i went and looked at host was like 11 million which you know makes sense and you can see it yeah but then i was thinking like can you imagine if the host looked this good right in terms of its creature design yeah. i mean because the the host which you know is fine they do a good job of of doing the the tricks you need to do when you have a small budget and trying to make a movie like mm -hmm. that the you know the the very distant shots of the creature jumping into the water that sort of yeah. thing so that you can kind of hide some of that but thinking of of the host looking this good yeah. is like like the only thing i could compare it to is like with video games yeah. like 
I have a hard time playing older video games because <laughs> I think old 3D graphics are just like too obnoxious to me. Yeah. And and so like there are games that I'd like to play, yep. but I just can't hang with because they look too stupid. <laughs> you'll get you'll and... get used to it if you if you try it. I'll, yeah, I'll say that. <laughs> so like I I feel like that when I watch older movies yeah. with like you know bad graphics or something yep. like like can you imagine what this would look like now? Right. Right. Yeah. There's definitely also some there like there's a really quick shot where there's definitely a full body replacement or at least a replacement of a of a digital you know cgi version of mija it's when she's running through the mall with okja there's mm -hmm. a really quick shot where you can you can kind of tell i i was looking for it at any point because i was like this is there's so much going on here that is also a beautifully shot action scene yeah. you know with all that cgi going on but there's a really quick shot where it's a close-up of her legs running with okja and i was like aha you know that's a that's a digital double um but yeah. but really really good looking and i feel like as you said you know the host was a was like it was built into the plot you, you don't want to show the monster too much they show it right off the bat mm -hmm. but if you really look at that movie the screen time of the monster and you compare it to okja okja is uh, like <laughs> on screen Okja's been probably 85 percent of this movie. yeah and when Okja's not there that we have other uh super pigs that are that are there and they all have you know different coloring and stuff like that too yep. so yeah i mean when we get to the to the scene at the the slaughterhouse mm -hmm. which is again another visual reference that's very disturbing it's very uh reminiscent of like the holocaust right? yeah Ugh, um, so upsetting which is just oh completely it's a, like i said some of this is like so nauseating mm -hmm. to watch mm -hmm. but yeah that was something that struck me as like all of these super pigs have different coloring mm -hmm. and there's got to be hundreds yeah at least a, at least a hundred that you see pretty well mm -hmm. yeah really impressive stuff yeah i watched uh i can't even remember some film fest had a, like had a big huge bong joon ho like retrospective and they had him and they watched bits of each movie and then they talk to him so i've been watching the videos of those with each one we watch mm -hmm. and after they show the clip of of okja bong joon ho says well, what a weird film why would anyone make that <laughs> film i feel like he says similar things about all of his movies yeah. i i love that about him like he's very humble he has a good sense of humor yeah but at the same time like i suspect that he you know he obviously takes it seriously while also having a lot of fun right. he also recognizes like how out there his his ideas are but also still managing to be so powerful you know the, oh yeah the, the other thing with this that i wanted to mention is that because it speaks so much to bong joon ho's style is that i really didn't know if the guy at the end was gonna shoot okja in the head you know with that device and, mm -hmm. and kill okja it's so unpredictable given where bong joon ho's storytelling has gone in the past i'm thinking about the end of snowpiercer and what we learn about yeah uh that main character and all that and how dark that gets everybody's dead pretty much and i was like he could totally kill okja at the end of this movie and it would it would be just as fitting as if Okja survives it would it would work right. for the movie and it would be the most upsetting thing ever but you know we just saw a bunch <laughs> of pigs get slaughtered and everything so I was like 
I was just on the edge of my seat like <laughs> like is he really is he really gonna do it like don't do it <laughs> they are continuing to be slaughtered after, yeah um you know as they Ugh. walk away and and that's the thing like the this has a deceptively happy right. ending. Mija gets to go home with Okja because she pays for Okja mm-hmm. with, you know, this golden pig. Mm-hmm. But when you stop to think about it, like, it's incredibly depressing. Oh, yeah. Like, all the other ones are going to die. Yeah. You know, she she managed to save Okja and she saves a baby, which is, you know, heartbreaking as well. And again, reminiscent of, of things like the Holocaust and that moment mm-hmm. it is incredibly depressing when you when you move beyond the the image of the of the super pigs playing in the water at the end and them going back to the the house on the yeah. hill and um because nothing changed no one no one stopped anything right right the the alf did nothing yep. which again is pretty realistic you know they they have been at this for a long time but it's doubtful that they've made much of an impact in the uh, broad view. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really good that you say that too, because that's what that ending kind of signifies, right? Is, is that Mija and the ALF are incapable of taking down the system. That's, that was right. their goal, or at least for the ALF, that's what the goal was for Mija. It, her main goal is really just to get Okja back, but yeah, she doesn't really. I mean, she does. She. I think she's sad about yeah the other ones, but I don't think she cares in the same way. Like she just wants her. Yeah, super and she's horrified at, at what she's seeing, but you know, it. It. She's got her goal, and that's that's Okja, and so what. What's really interesting and telling and important in that ending is, as you said, she pays. So she is, she's working within that system. She's unable to break the system. And so the only way to get her pig back is to play into the system and use economics. So, you know, everyone in this world speaks the language of money. So she's able Mm -hmm. to use the gold pig and, you know, she's not complicit in what's happening here necessarily, but she's still living in that world at the end of the movie as well and it is very upsetting there's the post credit scene which is the really yeah what does he think this is a marvel movie <laughs> all right i you you had messaged me and we're like hey don't forget about the there's a there's a thing at the end of this and i literally was just sitting on my couch kind of like letting the credits run and just happened to still be sitting there and then the uh because because who actually sits through the credits for a netflix movie but you know, I, I Netflix rarely. They don't. I literally every time I have there's a countdown that starts and I'm like, oh, shit, oh, shit. I got to I don't like I, I like to just sit there sometimes and, and comprehend what I just saw and unpack it, especially a movie yeah. like this. So I was just sitting there letting the credits run and just happened to be there still when the post credit scene starts and yeah it's it it feels almost like that marvel like it shows that the story continues you know these yeah the alf are still not done and it's a fight and they're going to continue but they're still going and it yeah and it continues that that humor too i love the moment when they <laughs> offer the, the mask to the old yes. lady that was great and the look on her face and there's like there's an indecision in her face <laughs> yeah. too which i love like like it's everyone around me 
do I join? <laughs> like, it's the herd mentality, right? Like, she's surrounded. The, she's the only one on the bus without the mask on. Yeah. And you can see this look like, should I? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which is, which is fantastic. Um, and it, and the the post credit scene, though, has the the worst special effect of the film. And I'm talking about Paul Dano's beard, <laughs> which just looked so it was fake. really weird i i was thinking about that like is this paul dano just having a weird beard or is this just I, has, I assume he can't grow one <laughs> oh that's so and, funny and they look like they got like fake fur at a craft store <laughs> it really and did. just like pasted it to his face it was like yeah high school or middle school play level beard I'm really glad that, that that wasn't a choice that had happened within the film proper yeah. because I would have found it incredibly distracting. <laughs> I wonder if they literally were just like, uh, you know what, let's let's do this end scene thing real quick. Had nothing scripted. And then they were like, oh, we got to get a beard. Show that time they were passed. Like, they were like, get the actors back for one more day. <laughs> exactly. And Paul Dana was out shooting, you know, some other movie, and we'll get you a beard. You man. know, at least, I mean, I guess they could have gone the, the Justice League route and tried to airbrush it, or you know, right, who right. Knows. So I, I do. Sorry, I was gonna, I was gonna switch the subject back to the the slaughterhouse thing for just a moment because before before we end, I I just want to get this out there. Um, I don't know if people are gonna hate that I'm gonna say this. Because I, I, I have mixed feelings, but the visual reference to the Holocaust, it, it was very mm -hmm. apparent, and I, I kind of find it a little cringy. It's it's really hard. I, I understand. I think it's effective. I understand what Bong Joon-ho is doing. I understand what the story needs in that moment is for you to pick up on that reference, but it's it's very much like I almost imagine these these pigs in their striped their you know the the quote-unquote right. striped pajamas and i'm all i'm like this is a little bit too much even for me you know so <laughs> i think it's very in line with the animal rights activist community yeah. which which is like often defined by the need to market the cause yeah. by getting people's attention which is going to be in the most shocking way they can yeah and so so that is a parallel that gets brought up often yeah um you know and and people can debate that all that they want but i think that that's probably why we we have that because i think that that falls very much in line with that side of of the movie yeah. and th that side of of the two factions that have been set yeah. up yeah, it, it I do think it's it's overall it's effective. I think it's in line with the over the top nature of the movie and the hum hum uh what am I trying to say? humanization uh of of mm -hmm. the animals throughout the movie, particularly the super pigs. So, it's yeah. it wasn't in in the moment it wasn't a scene breaking or moment breaking uh visual reference for me but there's this part of me that goes like okay you have 
you have the slaughter of animals on the one hand and then on the other hand you have the holocaust and i'm like i am very much resistant to marrying those two concepts they are not equivalent you know but i i understand what the movie's doing i do think it's it's fitting for the story and what they're what they're pointing out i think is probably fair that this is essentially animal genocide and and that's right. what ultimately I, I i could say this i i eat meat but that is what the industry is it's it's genocide right. of these animals and it's horrible so yeah. so i get that but well, it's, it's just like uh, there's a part of me that goes like i don't really like comparing cgi animals to real life jewish holocaust you know <laughs> it's a little well, uncomfortable you know and and it, as someone who you know works in marketing i would say that that's exactly why they did yeah. it and and it has worked because you're thinking about it because it made you uncomfortable yeah true yeah but it it, it does make me it, it it makes me a little bit resistant to even what the movie's doing you know what i mean and i think that's the danger is that if you go a little bit too heavy-handed and you get into that territory where it's like this is problematic for me then you might be more resistant to what the movie's trying to say because i'm like well a pig is not a person i you know like it's right. which is why like i don't think that scene would work in the first half right of the film. right because because you have to have that build up of the pain and the the empathy yeah as an audience before you can pull it yeah, off for sure for sure yeah so i again i feel like the movie is effective i i could see potentially though that that people may get to that point and be like mm, i'm i'm out you know this is <laughs> i see what you're doing and i'm out but but i don't know i i haven't really encountered that but i i definitely just wanted to voice that that there's that piece of me that's kind of yeah. like uh not sure how i feel about this to to go back briefly to the the mall scene i think that that's the the closest we get to uh our previous films fight scenes mm -hmm. uh most of most of the prior films other than snowpiercer which takes place on a train so it can't happen it's we have a lot of fights that track through fields right and here we're tracking through a mall which then falls right back into the uh corporate environment mm -hmm. that we're having in this film interestingly the woman in the wheelchair that mija almost runs into mm -hmm. uh is also the voice actor of okja oh wow <laughs> she also plays a character in one of his other films and now i'm forgetting who uh, or what film that's so interesting it, it always blows my mind when a movie like this you're like oh yeah there's a voice actor for okja <laughs> like right oh. whose voice is really just like grunts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly you'd, you'd think with stuff like that like i always think you'd you'd expect like a foley artist right to be doing yeah it. that's that's what i would think or or just taking animal sounds and you know but right. it, it makes sense for something like this to actually have a person behind it too because the the animal is so humanized or yeah um i keep wanting to say personified but yeah <laughs> and i'm sure that bong joon ho too like had a very specific sound in mind mm -hmm. you know i don't i don't have a lot more to say but i think one thing to to maybe end on is is the kind of unsettling parallels that we see 
not in terms of like the the meat industry or anything, but there are a lot of parallels to other things that we continue to go through as a mm-hmm. people. The the protests and the security forests mm-hmm. beating the protesters felt very uncomfortable yeah. in 2021. Yep. There's the line which comes off as humorous in the film, and I think it still does even in 2021. But as soon as I got done kind of like chuckling at it, I also had this like, oh, that's brutal, which is when the ALF guy is putting down the security guy in the in the slaughterhouse field and says, this is a non-lethal chokehold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, wow. Like in the moment it was, you know, it's amusing and you know that that's meant to be. But then like 10 <sighs> seconds later, it was like, oh, that's painful. Yeah. And of course, the the corporate thing which is you know ongoing throughout particularly throughout american culture of you know we'll we'll say what we need Mm -hmm. to say we'll make things look as bright and sunny and friendly as possible Mm -hmm. when you boil it down which i think is why you see the the transfer of power between tilda swinton and tilda swinton (laughs) of of this like it goes it all goes back to money right yep so it doesn't matter how sunny you are. It doesn't matter how lofty of goals you have in a in a creative or arguably humanistic way of like trying to feed the people. In, in the end, it's a corporation. It all comes back to money. When Jake Gyllenhaal said that when they have the they have the video playing behind him when he sees it and he goes he he immediately launches into i will learn from this i i had that in my notes too i was like this is great it is that yeah i can't believe like i i missed that in my notes but i have it there because that was that was the other thing along these same lines right Mm -hmm. like that felt so 2021 I will learn from this. Like, I will you be know, better. Every <laughs> press agent, mm-hmm. every you know, for anyone famous, mm-hmm. must have a template right now, sitting on their desktop, yep. just ready for whichever client <laughs> screws up next. Yep. And it is always going to start with, "I will learn from yeah. this." Yeah. I made a mistake. I will learn from this. I'm going to take some mm-hmm. time to learn more. It you was, know, oh. like. It was so perfect mm-hmm. and it, you know, it was 2017. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's still fairly recent, but I think that since 2017, a lot has happened in this country mm-hmm. and that felt so recent. Yes. on point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, that was, that was pretty yeah. amazing. Well, I think, uh, I think we put a bow on it. I think so. This has been another deep dive into Bong Joon-ho from us, the Indirectors. Thanks so much for listening. We'll yap at you again next time when we talk about Parasite. Can't wait. Have a good one. Thanks, everybody. Bye.